Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Humility. A modest or low view of one's own importance, humbleness. Hubris. Excessive pride or self-confidence. Arrogance. Conceit. Haughtiness. Hauteur. Pride, self-importance, egotism, pomposity, superciliousness, superiority. Welcome to Right Lane, a podcast of the Tampa Bay Times. Each week, Times reporter Lane DeGregory discusses her stories and answers your questions. The focus is on craft. My name is Maria Carrillo, and I'm the Enterprise Editor at the Times. Joining us today is Tom Wong, Assistant Managing Editor for Features and Community Engagement at the Dallas Morning News. Tom is an old friend, a narrative guru, and like Lane and I, an alumni of the Virginian Pilot. He's also an adjunct faculty member at the Pointer Institute, so we get to see him once in a while. And today we're recording at Pointer, so thanks to Vidisha Priyanka for letting us crash. The topic, paying it forward. One of the first things that comes to mind when I think of Tom is his generosity with his time and his talents, particularly toward young journalists. Lane, too, is always so willing to offer advice. I wonder if some of that is driven by your own experiences as young journalists. Did you guys lack mentors? So for me, um, it's definitely because of my just unusual background. Um, as Maria, as you and Elaine know, I come out of engineering. I was a computer science major, but always loved to write as well and had a really late blooming career as a journalist and decided to become just jump into the journalism field when I was 22, 23. And um, I didn't really have any role models at that point. I didn't really know kind of how to forge my path. And so thinking back on that, I do realize that there were people who um, took an interest in me and my career and did spend time in mentoring me people that Lane actually knows because we worked at the pilot together around the same time. So Dick Bayer was a big mentor of mine. He was the Norfolk city editor for a long time. And he literally, he was like a, a kind of a traditional journalist who would actually sit down with you as the editor and go through your story with you side by side. And Lane, I don't know. I don't know if you remember stuff like that. At the pilot that didn't happen on deadline much but once yeah once i got the first guy who i think was i would consider a mentor was ron spear also at the pilot and he was uh, 50 years older than i was i think and, and treated me like a granddaughter as much as like his employee you know and, and yeah i remember him basically sitting down side by side and showing me not what he'd done but why he'd done it and it felt like oh, this is my chance to grow and ron you know people like ron and dick they were almost these larger than life characters, just really warm, just walking through the newsroom, constantly encouraging people. I just remember, I mean, Ron was not my editor, but he would always talk to me about the stories that I had written. Just a total love for storytelling, both those guys. And Fred Kirsch, let's give a shout out to Fred Kirsch. He used to walk around with a uh, baseball cap that said Fred on it, in case anyone forgot. Uh, he was like one of the last of the real writing coaches. Too, he was, like when he we was. Had writing coaches. Yeah, yeah. 
I love Tom's backstory, the uh, engineering uh, background and thinking like, yeah, your parents were probably like, what the hell is he doing going on his journalism? Yeah, that's kind of a clean version of what they said. But, um, no, they were incredibly disappointed and shocked. And um, I didn't feel like, uh, I mean, I love them and, and they're great, but they weren't very supportive of my decision to do that. So I very much felt on my own in making that decision. But it was the right one. It was definitely the right one for me. I've never looked back at all. You know, as difficult as the business is now, I don't, I've never regretted it. I love it. So when did you guys realize you had something to offer? I mean, when did you feel confident enough to be on the other side of that? You mean to offer as a teacher? Yeah, to be a mentor, to be the one on the, you know, to be the one that other people turn to. I don't think I did until someone started asking me questions and I was like, who am I to give you advice? You know, it, 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 I was in a little tiny bureau for about the first eight years of my career. And so there were only two of us and then we're on sphere. So there wasn't a newsroom like, you know, really to tap into. But I remember coming from the bureau up to the main newsroom to work for you. And all of a sudden some of the younger report, I think I was 30 then. So I wasn't like, you know, totally jaded yet, but I remember some of the younger reporters asking me about stuff I did and that felt pretty good. Like I felt like maybe I fooled them that they think I know what I'm doing. <laughs> it was strange for me because I, I had always kind of been mentoring anyway, regardless of age and experience, just paying attention to and taking an interest in younger people. And I think part of that was because, um, in grad school, I would, I, you know, I worked as a teaching assistant in classes and just really enjoyed teaching students. And so when I moved into the newsroom, I just naturally found ways to do that too. That's just your personality too. That's just what you, that's just yeah, what you like. It's just, and it's, it is paying it forward, but it's also just something that if you just naturally are inclined to do it and enjoy it, then you'll end up doing it. But I think a lot of the, um, the early maybe, I don't know if I'd call it mentoring, but I grew up in the college newsroom, you know, spending 60 hours a week as an undergraduate. And so we didn't have any grownups <laughs> running the monkeys. And so it was really freeing to be able to ask the older students how or what you did something without feeling like you were being judged by a boss, you know, and I think so that for me was a huge growth curve. And that was kind of when I first started really helping the younger reporters and writers more than as a professional. I had the same experience just being in an independent college newsroom where you know we had to make all the decisions ourselves and work with the younger students who were coming in and you know I had really good editors in the college newsroom too so I think that just became a natural part of what we did. Yeah and I think it's a lot easier to ask dumb questions too when you're asking someone two or three years older than you still 20. <laughs> so a few years ago Tom wrote an essay published by Pointer on the six things you learn as a journalism mentor so I thought we'd walk through those points and Lane can chime in. Um, but before he got to what we learn as mentors, Tom argued that our survival depended on, on our commitment to mentoring others. You still feel that way? Absolutely. Um, you know, we just got an ONA grant. Um, we were one of several newsrooms that got an uh, ONA grant to build a mentorship match program in the newsroom. And it was really important to me and I think to us because um, something's changing and I don't know if you see it in St. Pete too, but just a lot of the younger journalists are really hungry for more career guidance and development and training. And they feel like they need stronger advocates in the newsroom. And I think maybe because a lot of people are, you know, lanes and my peers have either left the business or gone 
on to do bigger right. and better things, there aren't as many of us to help guide um, journalists coming into new to the newsroom. So, uh, so the ONA grant has really helped us build a matching program where we're matching we're asking what the interests are for people who want a mentor. And then we're asking people, if you want to be a mentor, what can you teach on? And then we're matching people. So we've, we launched in May and we have about um, 70, 75 people involved in the program. That's great. Yeah. So I I definitely still feel it's important. It's probably even more important now. I don't know. What do you think? Well, I I think too, a lot of the younger journalists are being asked to do a lot more than we were at that age that there was like a much slower uh, straighter path from like covering cops or school board to like getting to do some enterprise work to having a beat you know and i know so many of our young people are doing front page stories on breaking news and big projects as soon as they come in as interns you know so i think they definitely they do need more help it's not they don't get the training wheels part of being a baby journalist like we did all the time you know I agree. They're being asked to do a lot, and the path is a lot more uncertain, very nonlinear. And some of these uh, jobs that they will have uh, three to five years from now, they don't exist right now. Um, they're out, they're literally creating uh, new jobs right, right now. Um, and then also, um, kind of the, in the bigger picture, there are fewer journalism jobs, so they may they may be seeing that that kind of pressure. Mm-hmm. I also feel like they have more to offer us than I ever had to offer at that age. <laughs> you know, when I was in my 20s or even early 30s, I wasn't sure I could help anybody older and in the profession longer. But I know I've learned so much from our interns, just from social media to fact checking to self-promotion and, and you know, think how to do video webcam stuff. You know, I feel like they have a lot to give the other direction too now. Right. That's one of, so that's one of the things you get out of being a mentor. <laughs> mentor. Mentor down too. The other way. Um, <laughs> Tom, you talked about how when, you, when you're a mentor, you learn a lot more about craft because you're forced to break down what you do into smaller parts and ponder why things work or don't. And I, I couldn't agree more. I think that's one of the best things about having working with uh, other people in the newsroom and trying to help them is that you have to figure out why you did certain things, even if you weren't conscious of them. So, um, I mean, I like talk about that a little bit and sort of how you... I mean, did you just come to that as you started doing things and you realize, oh, to, to, to be able to teach, I actually have to figure out what it is that I do? Yeah, I mean, that's like the biggest lesson out of teaching is that you can't just wing it and you can't right. just um, share kind of war stories out of your experience. You literally have to think about what you do, uh, deconstruct it into little parts and then figure out how to share that and make it interesting. <laughs> and entertaining for people. Um, and that, you know, that takes a lot of thought and work. And so mentoring can be the same thing if you're actually mentoring on craft. So yeah. it's literally still um, keeping your hands in stories and helping writers um, figuring out a way to talk to writers so that they understand how to make the stories better. Lane, did you feel that too when you, when you started teaching that you actually got better, like you helped yourself in a way? Yeah, it was a lot of uh, self-analyzation, I think, that I hadn't bothered to put myself through before, you know, and people asking that, like, what did you do or how did you do this, but why? And and a lot of times I think I was working on instinct for so many years, covering three or four news stories a day and then trying to morph it into something bigger and better. I, I hadn't considered the why I did things as much as I did once other writers and people started asking, why did you make that choice or, you know, why did you use that? 
detail or whatever. Yeah, one of the really great um, teaching moments, you know, at Pointer with Lane was when you started to break down how you go about getting. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Ideas, and you literally had 20 or 25 really totally different ways that you would you would get those ideas. And to be able to teach journalists like how, how to do that and how you did it, it wasn't simply sharing your stories, but it was actually taking taking us behind the scenes and showing us how you did it. Yeah, which I think is so interesting. Hardly anybody ever teaches that in journalism school. You know, that's not part of any curriculum. And so I, I think I, that took me a long time to figure out how did I find these ideas. I had to go back and sort of rehearse that you know but also taking notes I know that was one thing that people ask me like how do you take notes or divide your notebook I'd never thought of that it just kind of evolved you know as as I was doing it so that was a good exercise too I mean a writer I was Maria I was going to say a writer on my staff I think it was literally last week just talked about how Lane divides up her notebook (laughs) (laughs) and it's something like on one half is your regular interview notes but then the other is like time and details and things that you're asking exactly yeah Yeah. and questions to come back to you because I always interrupt my people too much and so to be able to teach and mentor in that way where just some some writer in Dallas remembers that I mean that's that's an awesome thank you the lane notebook is spread (laughs) across the country um some of this like what we talk about is because this it feels like a like what we do is with craft and and it's like a trade that we're learning right and that we didn't get everything we needed in school you you come into the real world and you're picking up pointers as you go along and so I mean that's that's part of what you give back to these folks is that you've been down that road and you know you know the twists to avoid the turns things not to do the things and then you realize yeah there's there are habits that you've picked up that are actually helpful and that save time and um Tom, one of the things you said was that in mentoring, you learn about yourself. What did you mean by that? Um, I wish I had the column in front of me <laughs> so I could remember. Um, I think uh, you learn like what your natural communication and teaching style is. I mean, I'm never going to be a kind of a cheerleading, um, high, you know, high volume. You're not the loud guy. <laughs> loud guy who's inspiring and teaching people but i am going to be the the guy who's consistently there and thinking about the work that the other person's doing and you know definitely trying to make the time to to read the stories and help help writers on them um you said you create a legacy yeah so i mean you know as you as you get older you definitely start (laughs) thinking about the mark that you're going to leave um and I think one one part of, a part of one's legacy is just selfishly th- remembering and staying in touch with all of the people that you've helped along the way. Because I mean, for me, again, selfishly, that's like that helps fuel what I do. It's such a reward to see. It's such a reward to see what what these folks are doing years after you've helped them out. 
Um, but, I, lo- I love that we could follow them all on their Facebooks yeah, and Twitter and yeah, YouTube and see that. Yeah. yeah, I think that is a, a that's a big thing because you do you're right you get like where we are now in our careers where most of the careers behind us and when you're and you're looking for well come on Lane <laughs> at least for me um, more years in this business yeah <laughs> but yeah and then you and then you see well okay and then I'm teaching these people and they're going to carry things forward and then hopefully they're going to teach other people and then it feels like yeah it is. It is almost just like, okay, it's, it's not, when I'm done, I'm not done. They get to carry it on, right? So that is nice. But I know one thing I think, I think the first time anybody like forced me to actually teach anything was when I came back from a conference and Maria, you made us teach the newsroom what we learned at the conference. And I always thought that was a huge thing in terms of paying it back. You know, you invested me and one other guy to go to a conference for right. a few days. Well, we, the least you can do is come back and then make me teach that. And it reinforced a lot of it. And I think that was hugely helpful. Right. Um, uh, one of the things that Tom wrote was that you don't, re- you re- when, you're, when you're mentoring other people, you realize you don't know everything. And it reminded me of the aforementioned Fred Kirsch, who used to say, when I came into this business, I knew it all. And as I retire, I know nothing. (laughs) Because as you go along, I think you realize how much you really don't know and how much you still have to learn, right? So, right? Have you guys had that experience with with people as you're like, well, you said all the time, like now youngsters are teaching us stuff. Oh, absolutely. And and the types of stories they want to do are so much more ambitious, I think, than when I was that age, you know? Maybe it's because they've been exposed to more because there are more outlets to read and, and more feeds to follow, you know? But I, I just applaud the, the ambition of most of the people that I've, I've sought out help. Yeah, I mean, I think my experience has been the same as Lane and that the younger journalists that I'm meeting and working with are much more advanced than I was at that age and stage. And and maybe even more um, aggressively ambitious than I was. Absolutely. And it's like <laughs> their expectations are so high and it's um, it can be really daunting to try to try to meet or, you know, be a mentor in, in the in that situation. Um, and then yes, you're right that you that I mean I do learn that I don't know um, I mean obviously I don't know everything about writing and storytelling. And so in working with them on their stories I learn about that it forces right. me to learn and that's part of why um so like even as a senior editor i, I still want to have um i still want to work directly with an intern or two interns during the summer because again it's it's it keeps me fresh it helps me know new ways of telling stories and it, it just keeps me connected to to the younger journalists um, one of the other things you said was you come face to face with your own flaws. That sounds really deep. <laughs> um, why don't you take that first? <laughs> I think it's more trying to figure out, like having having to answer when someone starts asking you, like we're talking at the beginning about dissecting what you did or why you did, and then realizing like, oh, I really should have asked another question, or I should have got a little bit deeper, or, you know, what would I want to do next, right the next They expose you. <laughs> exactly. They told, and, they, and you have to be able to go, like, no, it's, I was uncertain, too. You know, like, being able to own your, uh, I'm trying to say, your uh-huh. insecurities. You know, it's hard to do that when a younger person is looking up to you, and you want to act like you have all the answers, but then realizing, like, oh, there, there are things that I wish I'd known back then when I did that story. Um, yeah, I mean, I think like 
some of my flaws are that, um, you know, as with any introvert, when I get overwhelmed and feel under pressure, I'll withdraw. I want to like just be away for a while. Right. And I know that's really hard when you're working with a writer who needs time and attention. Right. Um, I can also get uh, impatient and arrogant at times and kind of dismissive. And I need to watch out for that in situations where I'm working on difficult stories. And I mean, Marie, I'm sure you face some of that. Yeah, and I was thinking like, you know, if you're a younger journalist and you're, I, I would think that it's kind of great to kind of be talking to Tom or Lane and then realize, oh, they don't know it all. <laughs> like, you know, and be like, okay, well, um, it, you know, it makes you, it makes everybody feel human and like there's, yeah, okay, this is still a profession that you, you keep learning, you keep learning, you keep trying to get better at and. Um, well, it's a weird, I think it's a weird fulcrum of like, you have to have enough hubris to, to go for it and, and act like you know what you're doing, but you have right. to have enough humility to say, I don't have all the answers or I don't always get it right. You know, no. I don't know what I'm doing sometimes. Hubris and humility. That could have been the title. So, yeah, this one. Okay. <laughs> well, um, and one of the things that Tom pointed out was also that we, we realize sometimes that you can't always help which I presume means that you point them in other directions, maybe. Or. Yeah, I mean, some people that you want to help or you think you could help by mentoring, they're just not, you know, for whatever reason, understandably, um, they're not open to it at that time. And um, I think, you know, we may be the kind of people who want to try to make it happen, right? Because we want to help people, but then sometimes you just have to, leave people alone and let them make their own mistakes, I guess. Well, I found that more, like, I, I spent so many of the early years, my only teaching was, like, workshops or pointer or, you know, a, a one-off. When I tried to do my own college class, and I just realized how hard it was to make people care, you know? That, that was the part that I kind of felt like, I can't help you care, you know? When you're so used to having people who are so hungry, and then you go into a room for maybe three out of 30 actually give a darn that I, I think that was the hardest part like just being able to say to those people i can't help you there's that part of it you know right right but when they're hungry when they're hungry it's fantastic right yeah right but it, that's interesting too so the dynamic has changed not that there were dinosaurs but when we were coming up there weren't a whole lot of resources you couldn't get online and find you know you really couldn't um uh, read 12 papers a day on yeah your you couldn't or or you know now like somebody there's a great story out there and people start sharing it and everyone starts talking about it. And, and even you learn from that conversation we didn't, not we, so we didn't have that kind of stuff, but that's, it is, I think that's probably why the youngsters are coming up and they're, they're stronger than we are or were at that point, you know, that they, they actually have been, if they've been reading and learning and taking it in and they, you know, and they probably, and they reach out to you guys even before they start working in a newsroom, which is... Well, that's another thing. I wish I'd been able to just email somebody I admired, you know, instead of like, I've maybe in 30 years written three or four longhand letters in my teens and 20s to people like, I loved your story. How did you do that? And now it's right. like, click me on Facebook. I'm there. You know, right. I wish that had been a thing. Yeah. I mean, um, you know, younger writers can read any story online and then, you know, as Lane said, email a writer and and pick their brain on it, and, and they're, they don't hesitate to do that. So I think that changes the dynamic, too. All right. Well, on that note, we're going to uh, end the podcast now. Uh, if you have a question for Lane or for Tom, uh, please uh, email it to writelane at tampabay.com. That's W-R-I-T-E-L-A-N-E 
at tampabay.com. And join us next week on Wednesday morning for the next episode. This podcast was produced by Denise Keenan. Music was composed and performed by Dan DeGregory. Thanks for listening. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details.